1: Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television
0: today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me,
1: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your
2: podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in LA, and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio.
3: Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that speeds through the mile markers of history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier and in this episode, we're looking at the not-so-smooth start of one of the world's most famous racing institutions, including how it managed to turn things around and eventually earn its place in the winner's circle the day was august 19 1909 the indianapolis motor speedway hosted its inaugural auto race the historic track in indiana is best known today as the home of the indy 500 a grueling 500-mile race that's now considered one of the most prestigious motor sports events of them all. That race was held for the first time in 1911, and it helped establish the speedway's reputation as quote, the greatest race course in the world. However, when the track first opened in 1909, it was a far from perfect venue for the fledgling sport. A fact that some spectators, drivers, and mechanics learned the hard way. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway was built during the very early days of the automobile. In fact, Henry Ford's Model T had rolled off the assembly line just one year earlier. By the turn of the 20th century, car racing had become well-established and quite popular in Europe. But in the U.S., the sports appeal was still incredibly limited, Since most of the American public couldn't afford a car and therefore had little interest in driving, early auto races were the domain of two niche groups car manufacturers, who wanted a way to show off what their vehicles could do, and wealthy men, who saw car races as an exciting new pastime for the upper class. Prior to the construction of dedicated speedways, American car races were either held on horse racing tracks or on city streets. In both cases, drivers wore goggles and headgear for protection, but the cars themselves lacked even the most basic precautions, such as seatbelts or windshields. This lack of safety features posed serious risks to early drivers, and racing on courses that weren't designed for high-speed vehicles only added to that danger. In 1909, four Indianapolis businessmen recognized the need for a new kind of raceway designed specifically for automobiles. At the time, the city was home to a growing automobile industry, and the investors believed a local speedway would be the perfect place for car manufacturers to showcase their wares and sell the mostly non-driving public on the idea of getting behind the wheel. It was a prudent idea, as the dirt roads around Indianapolis were rugged and uneven, just as they were in most parts of the country. A racetrack would offer a safe environment to test out new cars, and after watching a few races, some spectators might even be convinced to stop by a showroom and buy a car of their own. The project was spearheaded by Carl Fisher, with the financial backing of his fellow investors James Allison, Arthur Newby, and Frank Wheeler. The future track would be built on more than 300 acres of farmland on the northwest edge of Indianapolis. Construction began on March 15th, 1909, and was completed shockingly fast just a few months later. However, the investors were so eager to make back their money that they actually held a race there before the motorway was even finished. It wasn't a car race, though. Instead, on June 5th, tens of thousands of spectators filled the stands to watch a hot air balloon race. It was a slow-going affair, but the event showed Fisher and his crew that there was indeed an appetite for commercial racing. Following the success of the balloon race, the investors decided to christen their newly finished speedway by holding a three-day-long series of car races. Each race would consist of two laps around the rectangular two-and-a-half-mile track. The layout featured two main straightaways measuring five-eighths of a mile each, along with two shorter straightaways coming in at one-eighth of a mile each. Those straight sections of the track were linked by four turns, each of which was exactly one-quarter of a mile long. The grand opening of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway took place on August 19, 1909. A total of seven five-mile races were scheduled for that day, and an estimated crowd of 20,000 people turned out to watch them. The very first race was won by Austrian engineer Louis Schwitzer, who bested his competition with an average speed of 57.4 miles per hour. The next four races of the day were won by Louis Chevrolet, Wilfred Bork, Ray Haroon, and Bob Berman, respectively. Unfortunately, the last two races that day had to be called off due to safety concerns. During the second race, a loose rock cracked the goggles of Louis Chevrolet, and in one of the later races, Wilfred Bork and his ride-along mechanic Harry Holcomb actually died in a car crash. The races resumed the next day and were held without incident, but on the third day, tragedy struck again. That time, a car crash claimed the lives of a second mechanic as well as two spectators. The day's remaining races were canceled, and the speedway was closed after just three days of operation. The track was supposed to be a proving ground for the safety and viability of automobiles, but a crucial oversight in its construction had made it just the opposite. The owners had opted to use a mix of crushed rock and tar for the track's surface, hoping to provide racers with something sturdier and more uniform than mere dirt. However, that decision backfired when the track began to break apart in numerous places, causing multiple drivers to lose control of their vehicles. During the Speedway's closure, the surface of the track was replaced with 3.2 million paving bricks, which were laid in a bed of sand and securely fixed in place with mortar. The venue reopened in December of 1909 and was quickly nicknamed The Brickyard in honor of its much-improved track. A new series of races was held there over the course of the next two years, but by 1911, attendance had begun to slip, and the owners decided to shift focus away from short five-mile races. Instead, they would host a longer annual event with a much bigger prize on the line. And so, on May 30th of that year, the Indianapolis 500 was born. It took driver Ray Haroon 6 hours and 42 minutes to complete 200 laps around the track, giving him an average speed of just under 75 miles per hour. He earned more than $14,000 for his trouble, the equivalent of more than $400,000 today. The longer-form race was a huge hit with the public, bringing national attention to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and to motorsports as a whole. The Indy 500 has continued to be held there every year since 1911, with the exception of 1917 to 1918 and 1942 to 1945, when the country had its hands full with two world wars. The average crowd size for the yearly event is approximately 400,000 people, making the Indy 500 the best attended sporting event in the United States. Over the years, plenty has changed at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. For one thing, the races are now much more fast-paced, with drivers routinely reaching average speeds of 190 miles per hour or more. The track itself has also changed considerably. By 1936, many of the track's trademark bricks had begun to wear down, leaving some parts of the course much rougher than others. Beginning that year, the rough patches were routinely paved over with asphalt, and by 1961, almost the entire track was covered with pavers. The Lone Exception is a three-foot strip of bricks that was intentionally left exposed at the start-slash-finish line. It's a nostalgic nod to the Speedway's history and to the role it's played in the development of modern cars and modern racing. In the last few decades, winners of the Indy 500 and other premier races held at the track have taken to honoring that legacy in their own way. After crossing the finish line, winners typically plant a big fat kiss right on the masonry. Smooching some dirty bricks might seem like an odd way to celebrate a victory, but it sure beats kissing crushed rocks and tar. Or, you know, so I've heard. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about racing history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon for another day in history class.
1: When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
0: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and
1: me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in LA, and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy